I, um, I found myself at points in the last month or so feeling quite helpless, feeling quite frustrated, um, not just because I've got a load of stuff going on in my life that's quite, quite hard, as I know many of us do as we journey through the pandemic, um, but also because lots of the people that I know, lots of the people that I love particularly, are also struggling. And I find myself going on a yo-yo between um, trying to take all their problems on and sort them out and fix them, and, and then, on the other hand, feeling like, I can't do it, there's nothing I can do at all. And one of the things that I've been reflecting on, certainly in the last week or two, is that Jesus does not leave us as his people in a broken world without equipment. He doesn't leave us without tools. He doesn't leave us fighting a battle with no weapons to hand. He gives us equipment. He gives us tool, he, he, tools. He gives us weapons. And one of the um, chief of those, if not the chief weapon, he gives us to, uh, to work in our, in our world, in his world, is the one of prayer. He gives us the weapon of prayer. And um, prayer is something that maybe many of us do, but also lots of us have questions about and we can struggle with it. And one of the questions that I know I can sometimes have when it comes to praying for a situation, praying for a person, praying for myself, one of the questions that I sometimes have is, what's the point? Does it, does it actually make any difference at all? And part of the answer to that, we see, you know, the greatest, I think, answer to that that we see is Jesus himself. It's the way that he lives and how he spends his time. And one of the things that, that has just hit me afresh recently as I've read the scripture is how much time he spends in prayer, how, how often he'll, he'll sneak off to a quiet place, to a lonely place, to a desert place to pray. And um, when he prays, well, we know some of what he prayed because, because it's recorded for us in the Bible. And we know, for example, that he spent time praying for others that he saw their needs, and yes, he met their needs himself many times, but also what he did is he prayed that his Father in heaven would meet those needs. So he says that to, to Simon Peter, his friend, who, who is going to deny him, you know, at the crucial moment. Jesus says to Peter, don't worry, Pete, because I've prayed for you. He doesn't, at that particular moment, give him a pep talk. He doesn't click his fingers and make Peter suddenly courageous. But what he says to him is, you don't need to worry because I have prayed for you. That suggests very strongly that Jesus believed that prayer made a difference. On the final night of his life, you know, if you were told you only had one night left to live, it was tonight, how would you spend it? Um, my guess is probably most of us would not spend it finishing the box set that we've been watching, right? We would, we would maybe one or two of us might, but we would, um, most of us be like, okay, I've only got one night left. I'm going to get my friends, I'm going to get my family, all the people that I love, I'm going to hang out with them. And Jesus, on the final night that he has, he does do that. He grabs the disciples and they eat their final meal together. But also we're told, I would do that, I can see myself doing that, but also what we're told is he prays for them. So the whole of John 17 is Jesus's prayer, the longest prayer recorded in the Bible. If I had one night left to live, I'm not sure, I don't know if I should admit this or not, but I'm not sure it would occur to me to spend a whole load of time praying for people. But Jesus does that because he understands how important it is. We're told in the scripture what he's doing now, having, having been resurrected and ascended to heaven, we're told by the writer to the Hebrews that what he's doing now is he's praying for us. 
In Hebrews, it says that he lives to make intercession for us. Again, he is all wise. He is um, all knowing. He understands what works and what doesn't work. He understands how to manage his time efficiently. He understands how to be effective. And of all the things he could be doing right now, what he's doing is he's praying for me and he's praying for you. So he sees it as having this tremendous ability to shape and to change and to bring into, um, into being things that would not otherwise happen. He sees it as making a difference. And when, on any talk on prayer, I always instantly feel guilty because I feel like I'm not very good at this and I don't do this enough and I should do this more and, and all of those things. And, and the first place to start with this is to understand he is praying for me now. However rubbish I may feel at prayer, Jesus is praying for me right now. When I go to bed and I go to sleep tonight, he'll be praying for me. When I wake up and it's another grey January Monday morning, he'll be praying for me. He's praying for me now. And he's praying for us because he understands how hard it is to live in the world. He's been there and he's done it. He's praying for us because he knows we have an enemy who is out to get us. And he understands that although he has defeated the enemy, the enemy, uh, we're no match for him. And we need all the help we can get. He's praying for us because he knows although he's won the ultimate victory, that the battle still rages and we're in the thick of it. And he's praying for us. But beyond any of those reasons, because he loves us, because he cares for us. And what we have, and I've been rediscovering this, is as his people, as his followers, his brothers and sisters, we have an opportunity to join with him in his ministry of prayer. And prayer is really broad. It's at, its, at its simplest, it is just being in his presence. It's keeping company with him. We don't need to have words for that always. We can say what we want. We can pray in tongues if we want to, but we can just be in his presence. And that's prayer. But there's a specific type of prayer that I just, for the rest of the time I've got, I want to speak into, which is, um, is praying for somebody else. Praying for other people's needs. Like what that has been called is intercession. How do we, we've got all these people with all these needs around us. So many of the people that we love are going through things that although we can be there to an extent, it's not within our power to solve those problems. We cannot heal their, their, their depression. We cannot heal their anxiety. We cannot make their marriage suddenly go from being on the rocks to being fantastic. We cannot solve their financial difficulties. We do not know what the solution is in their problems at work. We do not have this within our power and yet we are not powerless. And the reason for that is because he tells us to pray to him. And I love the way that Mike describes um, praying for healing. He says, you know, when we pray for healing, it can feel like a bit of a pressure. Somebody might come to us and say, look, I've got this condition and can you pray for healing? And, and, and I sit there thinking, I can't heal anybody. I can't heal you of a headache or of a cold, let alone something more serious. And Mike says the best way to imagine ourselves when we're praying for healing is as waiters or waitresses in a restaurant. How unusual of him to use a restaurant analogy. But he says, think of yourself like a waiter, right? So what happens is you go to a, um, you know, somebody's table and you say, what would you like to eat? And they pick something off the menu. And that's like, that's not your job to then go make it. That's the chef's job. 
Your job in that situation, if we're the waiter, our job is just to go to the chef and say, this is what they'd like. And then the pressure's on the chef. He has to make it. Like, he makes up the order. And then the waiter just carries it back. It's like the waiter's the go-between. So it is with prayer. So it is with intercession. Jesus gives us here a picture of a friend who's, who's you know, somebody's in their house and at midnight, knock, knock, knock on the door. Someone's turned up on a long journey and they ha- they're, they're hungry and they've come to, to stay. And this person has no food in their house. So what they do is they think, I haven't got anything. Not, I'm going to go to bed. We'll have some breakfast in the morning. We'll work it out then. They say, I haven't got anything. So I'm going to go down the road because I know somebody who does have something. I know somebody who can meet this need. That's prayer. We see a situation and we think, that's so beyond me. Don't you feel that with so many of the things that people we love are going through? It's so beyond me. I can never meet that need. The answer is not, okay, well, I'll just make my peace with that. Is okay, so I'm going to go to somebody who I know who can meet that need and I'm going to ask him to meet it. That's what it is to pray for another person. And um, we often feel, I know I do, lacking in confidence in this. And, uh, and, and, and our question can be, how do we pray for somebody else well? You know, let's think of a person, think of a situation where there is a need that we can't meet. How do we pray for that situation well, for that person well? The disciples... They've obviously got these kinds of questions because they go to Jesus, and this is the, the bit we just had read to us. They go to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us. And that's what I love. That's the first thing on prayer that I absolutely love is we, many of us feel like we're lacking in confidence. We feel like we're beginners. But the good news is we can learn how to do it. Lord, teach us to pray. And then Jesus, when he's teaching them, and we're going to have a look at some of what he says in a moment, he doesn't make it more complex he doesn't say, okay, whew, okay, I can, I can teach you, but it's complicated. You know, I hope you guys have been studying hard. He doesn't, what he does is the opposite of that. He says, I, you know, this is how simple it is. You know, the, the secret to learning how to do this is actually not making it complicated and, and coming up with these incredibly complex techniques for prayer. It's not that. Forget that. Stuff that. What it is, is it's, I don't think you understand how simple this can be. So let me teach you about it, he says. And then just, the, just the, in the time that I've got left, I want to just draw three simple things that he says um, in this bit we just had read to us that I hope will help us as we begin to give ourselves more to praying for others around us. All right? How do we pray for others? Here's the first thing he says. Um, he says, when you pray, here's how to start. Father. And the first and the simplest, and yet the greatest and the highest lesson when it comes to prayer is to understand who we come to and how we come. We're coming when we pray. He says, you want to know how to begin in prayer? Here's how you begin, all right? Start with this. Dad. Hey, Dad. That's not just the first word of the Lord's Prayer. It's the first word of all prayer. Everything else flows from that. And, and understanding the truth of this, it transforms everything. Because what it does, what it's done for me anyway, is, is it takes me from thinking, I need to have some kind of formula. Like, what is the special technique? 
give me them almost the magical words that if I say them in the right order, suddenly everything's going to happen when I pray. And it's like, no, no, it's not that. It's not about technique. It's about relationship. It's about understanding the dynamic, the relationship that we've got now because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. That means that when we come to, to, to God, we're coming to our father, that we come as children to our dad. And um, to be conscious of that means that suddenly it shifts the whole way we approach prayer and I can approach prayer. So I remember um, about, I don't know, two months ago, I wasn't in this service. I was in the building next door because we were short of team in the children's work. And I was there and in one of the groups, there was three of my four boys um, running around like loose cannons. And uh, at one point, there's loads of kids in, in the room, but at one point I overheard Josiah, my oldest son, saying to um, one of his little friends, he said, um, you know what? My dad can do a handstand. <laughs> and I don't have many party tricks, I'll be honest with you, but that is actually one of them. I can, in fact, do a handstand. Um, I, I know you're impressed, I can tell. But he said, my dad can do a handstand. And then, and then his little mate was like, no, he can't, no, he can't. And just, I was like, he can, he can, he can. He could definitely do one. He could do an amazing handstand. And this other little lad didn't believe, obviously took one look at me. I was like, nope. Like, you know, did not believe him. And then Josiah kept going on and on. My dad can do a handstand. My dad can do a handstand. And, and do you know what? What happened to me is this dad, suddenly I was like, my boy thinks I'm phenomenal, right? He, he believes in me, right? And then, of course, they turn to me eventually as the argument escalates and they say, prove it. Can you do a handstand? I'd love to say to you that I sat them down and took them through a story from the Bible, but I, I got on my hands and I did a handstand to impress them. Um, and I did it because I was like, because Josiah was like, my dad can do it. I know he can. He can do it. He can do it. I can promise you he can do it. And that's what happens in a dad when somebody says, when they overhear, you know, hey, my dad's really good with bikes. We should take this bike to him. My dad will sort that bike out for you. Don't worry about it. He's amazing at it. Dad overhears that. He thinks, I'm going to turn that bike into a Harley Davidson. Um, you know, it's like there's something in us that's like, I'm going to meet that need. Well, do you know, the highest compliment we can pay to our father is to believe in his goodness. It's to believe in his love. It's, it's, it's someone comes to us with a need. We meet someone in the office or we talk to our next door neighbor or, or there's someone who's part of our family who we love or there's a friend who's going through hardship and we hear about it. And whether we say this to them or we think it internally, we can think, I'm going to talk to my dad about that. I'm going to talk to dad about that because I can't sort this, but my dad can. Can you imagine if your dad was like a doctor, some sort of super specialist doctor, and someone came to you with the condition that he specializes in and they said, I've got a problem here. What would you do? You'd say, oh, do you know what? My dad, I, turns out he's, you know, he's actually the world expert on this. I'll speak to him for you. I'll give him a ring. If your dad was some sort of like, you know, builder who could just fix anything and someone had something go wrong with their house, you'd be like, do you know what? My dad can sort that because he's really good at that sort of thing. Whatever it happens to be, you'd be like, my dad can deal with this for you. Wait a second. My dad, our dad, our father, he's, he's the master of heaven and earth. He's the Lord of the universe. All wisdom comes from him. Life emanates from him. He has all power. He has all knowledge. He is full of compassion. He is full of kindness. So there's no need that anyone can come to, no matter how complex it seems to us, no matter how impossible it is, in earthly terms, there is literally nothing somebody can bring to us where we can't respond with, I should chat to my dad about this, because he's great at this sort of stuff. He could really sort you out. So prayer begins, 
This is the first thing. If we're thinking, how do I pray for others well? It starts with us being clear in our spirits about who we approach. I'm going to talk to my dad. That's how I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to go and have a word with my dad. All right, here's the second thing that helps as we pray for others. It's to understand who helps us when we pray. And so Paul says, this is in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Now what he's getting at here is that when we come to pray, we're not alone. Many of us, you know, I know I do anyway, I feel a little bit clueless. And Paul actually says, and it's a relief to me that Paul, the great apostle, also knew what this felt like. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Holy Spirit helps us. That's very practical when we talk about the Holy Spirit helping us. Maybe he gives us faith if we don't have very much. Maybe he gives us compassion if we feel like we're lacking in that. But one thing really practically is, so often when we're praying for a situation, I don't know if you find this, but I'm just like, I just don't know what the right thing to pray is. You know, if somebody like very elderly, um, maybe they're in their 90s, ends up in hospital because something's, something's gone wrong, what do I pray in that situation? Is it the right thing for me to pray that they're completely miraculously healed and restored? Or is there a place for sometimes, you know what, perhaps their life is coming to an end? If you've got a friend and they've got a massive issue with their boss at work, what do you pray? Like, What is the right thing to actually pray in that situation? Should I pray that um, they get a new job? Should I pray that God kills their boss? Probably not. Should I pray that they have grace in the, in the situation when they're in there? Like, what should I pray? And so part of learning to pray, I've been discovering, is learning to listen. So before I come and ask him, Lord, would you do this? Lord, would you do that? It's actually a really helpful thing to be like, Lord, what, you know, Holy Spirit, you want to pray through me. So what do you want to pray? Let me join in with what you want to pray. And there's a, a principle in prayer, which I think is really true, which is that general prayers tend to get general answers and specific prayers tend to get specific answers. So Lord, is there something particular, something specific I can be praying for this person? Might it be that they, that, you know, they need peace? Might it be they need to have a breakthrough in this area? Might it be you just, they need to have a word from you particularly? But we can listen before we ask so that when we come, we know we're, we're, we're asking according to how we've been led and it gives us a new confidence. So we get to, we get to do this with the Holy Spirit. And here's the third way uh, that we pray for somebody else. The third way that's helpful is we keep showing up. Really simply, we just keep coming. And, um, you know, I, as I started to look at this, I thought initially, oh gosh, I, can't, I feel like I can't win with prayer. And then I see what prayer is, is it's a chat to my dad. What prayer is, is I get to do it with the Holy Spirit who helps me, who, as, if I wait on him and I ask him to lead me, He'll show me some things, particularly for this situation, particularly for this person, that I can pray and I can wait for those answers. But, but here's where the onus does come on us a little bit, which is that we, do, uh, we are encouraged by Jesus to keep going. And we see that in this passage. Um, again, just to mention my little boys for a final time, and then I never will again. Uh, the... Um, in our house, there's obviously not a lot of space because uh, there's four of them and stuff like that. And uh, sometimes, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I just want to get away. 
And um, there are moments where it gets desperate to the point where I will try and find, I'll put all of them on screens. And I'm ashamed to tell you, but it's true. We've got four boys, so we have to have four screens. It's individualism gone mad. They're all watching their own little program on a phone or an iPad or a TV or whatever. But I'll, I'll set them up in the lounge on their screens. And then after a few minutes, when they're really absorbed, I will withdraw quietly from the room. And I will go and hide in one of my little hiding places. Um, and uh, let's say I do that, right? And I go and hide up in the bedroom upstairs or something like that. Do you know what happens? After about 15 minutes of me hiding up there, having some me time at last, much deserved, I'll add. Um, so hiding away in there. Do you know what I hear? After about 15 minutes, I hear this. Dad! Dad! And uh, I just think to myself, just, just ignore them, you know? They'll, eventually they'll sort it out between themselves. Zachary's two, it's time he learned, right? And I'll just hear, Dad! Right, and it'll carry on for a little while, but I won't say anything at all. And then, after another about four or five minutes of them doing that, right, what I'll hear is, is sort of the pitter-patter of little feet, all right? They've been yelling and yelling, and I, obviously, they don't, you know, nothing's happened. So then they start, they start hunting me down. And they, they go and look in the usual places. And I've got my usual haunts that I go. The snack cupboard, number one, all right? I go and hide near the snack cupboard and eat. Um, uh, the toilet, because I can lock those doors. So they go looking for me in these different places. And let's say that they, they're searching around the house and they can't find me anyway. Eventually, you know, there's only so many places I could be. So they, they realize I must have gone upstairs to the bedroom. So then they come upstairs. I hear their little feet coming up the stairs towards me. But I've shut the bedroom door, and it's quite, it's quite tight, the bedroom door. It shuts quite soon. So then, do you know what the next thing I hear is? On the bedroom door. And, uh, and then it carries on. And if it's Zachary at the bedroom door, he's known to actually headbutt the door. He will, if he's, not, if he's not able to get it down through knocking, he will literally run at it with his head. And it's, it's not locked, so like it's stiff, but it's not locked. So after them doing that for a little while, Zachary will cannon into the bedroom, and then he will climb up on the bed where I've been hiding. And then I, tired though I am, exhausted and grumpy though I am, resenting the fact that for all my hiding, I only got 15 minutes to myself, I will nevertheless get up and I will give him what he wants so that he will leave me alone. And Jesus, when he speaks of prayer, what he says is, here's what you've got to do with prayer. All right? He says, this, this is how it works. Ask. Dad. Dad. It's me. And then he says, seek. So after asking for a little while, we're like, well, he doesn't seem to be doing it. He's obviously, you know, I've got to go looking for him. So I wake up early in the morning. Are you here? I'll go looking for him when I'm driving the car. Are you here? I'll go looking for him when I go to bed at night. Are you here? After a little while, he says, you know what? It's still not getting anywhere. Do you know what you can do? Knock. You know, the whole thing about knocking is when you go to somebody's house and you knock on the door, nobody just knocks once. <laughs> nobody does that, do they? No one expects an answer. We all know if we're going to get an answer, it's... And this is what he's saying to us about prayer. He's saying, hey, it's, it's knocking, knocking, asking, seeking, knocking. Another way of putting it is it's keeping going. It's being persistent. It's showing up time after time after time after time. And this, this image of the friend at midnight who goes to his mate who's got bread because he hasn't got any in his own house, 
you know, like what's fascinating to me about the story is that the guy who he's knocking on his door, the guy says to him, go away, stop bothering me. Jesus is giving us a picture where it's like, I'm meant to bug him. I'm going to bug him. I'm going to bother him. Um, Go away. Stop bothering me. And he's not saying that God is like that. What he's saying is if a cranky neighbor who doesn't want to get out of bed to give you any bread, if you knock him hard enough, eventually he'll get up and give you something. If a neighbor like that would do it, how much more do you think your Father in heaven will do it? He's saying to us, if you, though you are evil... As parents, you know, if even you, when they ask you for a boiled egg in the morning, don't drop a poisonous scorpion on their plate, if you are like that, how much more is your Father in heaven going to give good things to those who ask him? And I know the huge question that comes always, and rightly so with this, is, but there was a time when he didn't. There was a time when I knocked and I saw and I asked, and he didn't answer my prayer. And there, there is, I can't put it any other way, a mystery to prayer that means sometimes we find ourselves in situations like that. And th- that's not unknown to some of the great heroes in the scripture. David lost a child despite praying for him. I can't think of anything worse. Jesus himself had a no when he came to prayer. Uh, take this cup away from me, he asked the Father. But that wasn't, that wasn't God's will at that particular moment. There is, there is a mystery to it, and it can cause us to lose our confidence in prayer. And we've got to be honest about that and acknowledge it. But I would suggest that the great tragedy in the church is not that we overestimate God's goodness and are then disappointed. It's that we consistently underestimate it. We consistently underestimate his willingness to meet our need or to meet the needs of the friends around me. What would my prayer life look like if, if you know, I woke up one morning and realized for the whole of it, I'd underestimated how willing he was to meet with us. And Jesus is saying, prayer, sometimes it's just a case of keeping going. A bit like if you're trying to build you know, like a, a, like a, a, I don't know, a walkway across a swamp or something and you're doing it with stones. And every day you come and you chuck one stone and you chuck another stone and you chuck another stone. Initially, it looks like absolutely nothing is happening. And that's, the true, that's true of prayer. About you, but it's the hardest thing to keep going sometimes. When I pray and I look at the situation and nothing's changed. I pray, I look at the situation and it's got worse. I pray, I look at the situation and it's definitely moving in the wrong direction. It's so easy, isn't it, in a moment like that to quit? But he says, do not quit. Keep going. Be persistent. Eventually, if you keep throwing stones into that swamp, land will come. Eventually, if you keep asking and seeking and knocking, your father, who is more perfect than any human father could ever be, will answer your prayer. He will. So how do we pray for others? Understand, we're not powerless. We're not powerful either, but our power comes from knowing his and from understanding that we can pray by, I'm going to have a chat with my dad about that, and the Holy Spirit is going to help me have wisdom for what to be asking and for the faith to ask it. And then I'm just going to bug him. And I know what he says is he wants me to do that because he wants to answer.